Good morning, Calvary Temple. It's really good to be back uh, with you, and uh, thank you for rolling out the weather to make it nicer for us today. This, uh, this is the first time I've been in church for a couple weeks. Last week, we got, I got back from a trip, and we went to go to church in the morning, and in Saskatoon with the wind chill was minus 50, and neither of my vehicles wanted to cooperate, so... Uh, maybe this is your first time to church in a couple weeks as well. So uh, glad to bring you greetings from Saskatoon, from, from Horizon. Spent the weekend here with some of you. We're doing a, a classes since Friday night and, uh, and all day Saturday. So for those of you who are still seeing me again for the third day in a row, God bless you. And uh, I think you have opportunity if you want to keep doing the classes, and they're going to be on Tuesday nights. So uh, you're welcome to do that. And and join in. You can ask the people that were in the class whether it was good or not, I can't say. Um, but I, from my perspective, it went pretty well. Uh, this morning, we're, we want to think about uh, Jesus. And you came to church, so I hope that that is an okay topic to discuss, is Jesus. Uh, but, but we as followers of Jesus, for the last 2,000 years, have developed a particular conviction about Jesus that sets us apart from how many in the rest of the world would think about Jesus. And our particular conviction is that Jesus was not just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good moral human being who came up with some philosophy or a way of life that might benefit people who followed him. But our conviction is that Jesus is God that somehow in a particular time, in a particular place in history, the God of the universe, the author of life, the creator of all, stepped into his creation in a very particular way and spoke to his people and formed a people and formed a group of followers who would become the church. Uh, so that 2,000 years later... In Brandon, Manitoba, we are gathered on a Sunday morning to worship and sing praises to, to that God. And, and that's, a, that's a particular conviction. It's something that sets us apart. And there's consequences to having such a particular conviction. And in, especially in a world where we want to get along with everybody, having a particular conviction of this sort is going to maybe have some challenging consequences to us. And so what I want us to think about this morning, just a few of the, the, the implications of the reality that Jesus is, is God. And so it's not that I, I'm not to spend time teaching you so much a theology of why we believe Jesus is God, but what I want us to think about this morning is, so what? What difference does it make if if Jesus is God. So to start with, we're going to play a little game. So this is an audience participation game. Look, we've been teaching all the last couple of days, so we're st I'm still in this mode, I guess. But I, I want, we're going to play a game. What's the difference? And we're going to see, we're going to have kind of by, by the loudness of the congregation, which, which of these two things is, is preferred. So the first one is this. What's, in the morning you get up, what difference does it make? Coffee? Or tea? Let's hear the coffee drinkers. All right. Tea? 
Maltese, decently represented. I spent, I spent three years living in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I can say after church, they had a gigantic vat, I kid you not, of tea. They just kept throwing tea bags in that thing. Uh, there's probably boxes of tea bags in there. And then they had a little kettle with a bottle of Sanka instant coffee for the coffee drinkers. So where you're from makes a difference on that one. Okay, um, let's, let's do the next one. Coke or Pepsi? Coke drinkers? <laughs> Pepsi? Ooh, that's, pretty, that's a pretty even split. All right, all right. Um, okay, the next one shouldn't be too contentious. <laughs> okay, anybody brave enough to go for Saskatchewan out here? They are a hearty crowd. Blue Bombers? Really too close to tell. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> okay. We, got, we got those ones. All right. Now, now those, are, those are three kind of divisions that we want to think about. That's, we have a, a few more here we want to look at. That, these are a slightly different order, though. So it's payday coming up. You've worked hard, and you're going to get paid. What, does this make a difference? Yeah, you, you'd, you'd rather be paid in one than the other. Okay, so I, I mentioned last week was very cold. Maybe some of you, anybody have car battery problems in the last while? Okay, does this make a difference? Okay, if you want to get around. All right, now, if any of you are adventurous types, anybody ever been parachuting, jumping out of a plane? Anybody want to do that? Okay, if you were to jump out of a plane, tell me whether which one of these would whether this would make a difference. What do you want strapped onto your back? Dora the Explorer or an actual parachute? An actual parachute probably. So, I think I like to suggest that for the the first the first set of of uh, differences that we looked at, the Coke and the Pepsi, the coffee and the tea, maybe even, maybe even your chosen football team. Uh, these, are, these are differences that really express our preferences, right? If you happen to pick up the wrong soft drink, uh, it's probably not a matter of life and death as compared to jumping out of an airplane with Dora the Explorer on your back. So there's a difference between preferences and, and meaningful differences. And so this morning what I want to suggest is that if Jesus truly is God, then the reality of that should be more than a preference. But sometimes we're tempted to treat that as a preference rather than as a meaningful difference. Now, I say Jesus is God, I'm not going to spend a long time on, on the theology of that, uh, but I'll give you a little bit to help you when you're thinking, yeah, I know we're supposed to believe that, but I don't know where to find it in the Bible. So I'm going to help you out with that with three ones and a two. All right, so three ones and a two that show Jesus is God. You got John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, and then you got Philippians 2. So you see, you can remember this now. 
So uh, the three ones. So John 1. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So here we have... Uh, John's gospel is the most straightforward, clear-cut statement articulating Jesus was more than a human. He was actually the God of the universe. And attached to Jesus' godness is his linkage to being the one through whom all that exists exists. He's the author of creation. So he, through Jesus, all was created. And this is, this is what the early followers of Jesus came to recognize. He was more than a human. He is actually the cause of our existence. Uh, the Colossians 1. Colossians 1, just a few verses out of there. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, which firstborn in this, in this sense is not that he was the first created, but that he is of that status of having the privilege and honor and authority of, of a firstborn to oversee all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here, here the Colossian passage says not only is Jesus the creator of all things, but he's the sustainer. He continues to ensure that the world spins, that the sun rises, that there are crops being produced to feed us. So that's Colossians. And then Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Again, this connection, Jesus is not just a really highly powerful individual. This is the creator of all things. This is it. This is, and the creator in Judaism, there was one God, one creator. And here we have just seen three texts of followers of Jesus saying, yeah, we assign that to him. The, the two now, Philippians 2, we see Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or, depending on your translation, grasped or clung to or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave and made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human, as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what we've had there, there's, and there's multiple other places. What we have, though, in, the, in those passages uh, a lot of scholars would identify as kind of early Christian Hillsong. This is, these, are, these are hymns. These are songs. These are worship. Uh, in our class on the weekend, we noted that, you know, back in Jesus' day, there was about a 90% illiteracy rate. So when you, were, when you were communicating great truth, you did it in such a way that it was memorable. You could remember these things. And music and hymns and singing and um, poetry, these were ways that you would carry essential truths. So John 1... 
and Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, and Philippians 2, these are all, they all have the earmarks of being sort of a memorable sort of song, worship song, so maybe we can put it to music and sing it after, by the end of the service, we'll have that all figured out, but, but here you have this, um, and, and this one in Philippians in particular, it follows, it follows a story structure where, like Star Wars, it's, you know, you've got the, the hero at the beginning in a good place, and then along comes a, a challenge, and the hero has to face the challenge, and it gets more challenging and more challenging, and it reaches a climax of the greatest obstacle to overcome, and then the hero overcomes and is lifted back up to an exalted place. It's, it's a basic story structure that has existed since stories, and that's how this is told. But the way that they tell it is the climax of the story here is that Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They took this out of a passage of the Old Testament in Isaiah, where Isaiah is making the point there is no other God, there is only one God. God, Yahweh. And in the Philippians passage, they take the name of Jesus and replace Yahweh with Jesus, which if you're an ancient Jewish believer, that is not something you do lightly. So again, so we have this sense that Jesus is God, and clearly the earliest followers of Jesus identified him in that way and put into practice worship of him in that way. But so what? So what? So I, I have a I have a book in case uh, you want to follow up, um, Simply Jesus N.T. Wright. It's a nice accessible book. If you want to think more about these things, you can, you can get that book. But what we want to do for the, uh, the few minutes we have left together is to ask ourselves, so what if Jesus is God? What difference does it make? And is it, is it a meaningful difference or is it simply a preference? So there's three, three pieces I want to pull out from this. The first is to, to note that worshiping Jesus as God introduces exclusive and universal truth. Both exclusivity and the claim to having something that is universal does not wash well in postmodern Canada. These are not things that, that, that we're comfortable with. But here's, here's another reality. Those claims didn't wash well in first century ancient Rome either. The earliest followers of Jesus were part of a pluralistic society. Ancient Rome had many gods, many gods. And they were happy to accommodate your god. They were a multicultural world. They had people often being captive, brought into the, under the Roman umbrella. And you had your Egyptian gods, your Babylonian gods. The Romans had no problem adding gods. You could add gods to your heart's content. Sure, the more the merrier. Pray to your god. Maybe your god will do better for us than our god. Add it in. What they didn't handle well was the denial of the pantheon of gods. So the Jews, who only believed in one god, were already suspect and barely tolerated. And then you have these followers of Jesus who initially were also Jews, and even if they weren't Jews, believed in the Jewish way of seeing the world, 
And they say, yes, and that one God, we come through Jesus. And this is the one God who is the creator of everything. He's not just the creator of our local center. He's the creator of everything, and therefore he demands and expects exclusive worship. You can't just tack him on and continue worshiping all these other gods in the same way. Because if it is the case that he is the true creator of everything and sustainer of everything, then his demand is not unreasonable. Because there are no competitors. And that was a Jewish claim that got picked up by the followers of Jesus, and it doesn't sit well today. And it didn't sit well in Jesus' day either. So Jesus makes a claim. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say I'm a way. I'm a truth. You have your truth, and I'm a truth. You do your thing. That's okay. Jesus doesn't say that, because if he is the author of creation, he has a right to demand exclusivity in who he is. And the earliest followers of Jesus got that. In Acts 4.12, first big sermon after the Spirit fell, we see that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. If Jesus is God, then there is a claim of exclusivity and universal application. It's not a local exclusivity, it's universal. The whole God, whether you believe it or not, the God who we believe in is sustaining this world. As it says in Matthew, that's the sunshine on the, the righteous and the wicked. That is who this God is, and so he demands exclusivity. It's uncomfortable for us today. It's a consequence, though, of Jesus being God. And it's a consequence for us, and it was a consequence for the first followers of Jesus. All right, the second piece is that worshiping Jesus as God requires relinquishing our personal rights and a complete change to our behaviors. If Jesus is truly God, the consequence of that is that we don't just carry on business as usual. If Jesus is the supreme king of the universe, then there's an expectation that we are his subjects. We aren't equal with God. We aren't equal with Jesus. We are his subject, which means we are subject to him. And the language that Paul uses in particular with this um, is, is quite stark. Paul lived in a slave culture. You had slaves as part of your household. Slaves were an essential part of the economy. Um, slaves were part of everyday life. And Paul routinely identifies himself at the beginning of his works. And sometimes it's, a, it's, it's unfortunately translated Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, but literally he says Paul a slave of Christ Jesus. He uses doulos, the word slave. And here... Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 6, 
Do you not know that your bodies, which is to say your whole selves, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought. You were purchased at a price. In the passage in 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians are saying, look, we have rights to do all these things. And Paul says, yeah, you might have rights. All things are, are possible. Some things are possible, but not everything is beneficial. All things are possible, but not everything's good. You aren't your own. You do not have rights to yourself because you've been purchased. You've been purchased and you have moved from being owned by one master, who Paul talks about in Romans, he talks about being slaves to sin and death, and being slaves to alien powers. You've been purchased from one master to another. You're now slaves to God, to Christ, to righteousness. And how you behave is determined by who, to whom you're obligated and, and, and owned by. You, you're not yourselves. So in Colossians, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways before you came to Jesus in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger and rage and malice and slander and, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. You're part of following Jesus. It requires a change. You've had a change of masters, and that's a change of behaviors that comes along with that. That's the consequence. If Jesus is God, then we give up being our own God. We give up being our own master, and we subject ourselves to another one. That changes the way we behave. It changed the way the ancient Romans behaved. They don't get to participate in the parties, in the social clubs that were part of Roman society the orgies and the drunkenness that were just part of being a good Roman citizen and showing that you're part of the city. Paul says, no, you've got to be called out from that. It's different now. The third thing is that worshiping Jesus as God, the implication is that it exacts social and personal cost. So if you can't go out and participate, then you're now having a personal cost to that. John 16, 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. And in 1 Peter, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, the first time that Christian is used in a Christian document is this passage. Let him not feel ashamed, but in the name of him, glorify God. The followers of Jesus, the first one were Jews. The first ones were Jews. And they continued to believe in the God of Judaism, and they'd go to their synagogue and say, we still believe in one God, but we worship him through Jesus. 
that didn't wash well, as you can imagine, with the other Jews in synagogue, and so you get kicked out and reviled, and we see this happening to Paul and Acts. The non-Jews who came on board also were reviled, and they suffered. So as I conclude here, I want to conclude with a picture. It was at the very opening slide, and this picture is not something that I sketched on the way over. This is a bit of graffiti from ancient Rome from around 200. And is a picture of a guy standing in front of a man on a cross, and the person on the cross has a donkey head. And what it says in Greek here is Alaximenos worshiping his God. It's the, it's the earliest depiction of Jesus, actually, that we have, and it's a mockery of Jesus. It's a mockery of someone who would worship a God who dies on a cross. Alexa Menos, whoever Alexa Menos is, looks like he might be a soldier or a guard or something like that. Alexa Menos is worshiping a God who would die on a cross. And in the graffiti, they're making fun of him for it by putting a donkey head on the person on the cross. Alexa Menos worships his God. Alexa Menos understood the consequences of worshiping a God who would enter into human history and show his love by dying on a cross. And that just didn't make sense to Alexa Menos's friends and families and people. And so we end up with a good graffiti. So I leave you with this question. If Jesus is God, then what meaningful difference is that going to make in your life? Thank you so much for, for having me here today. And I pray God's blessing upon this church and ministries here. We ask Jesus that Brandon will come to know Jesus as God. Amen.